Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see just how beautiful life can be when you soften your heart you can finally start to live your truth is life so hi kate i'm so excited to see you i was just saying before we hit record that we're so overdue for a catch-up and I'm lucky I get to do it and call it work, I guess, all in one place. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. And I'm excited to catch up and chat. It has been so long since I've seen you. And I feel like you have been on such a beautiful transformation. Not that where you were was anywhere that, you know, I would have ever said you needed to depart from. But I haven't seen you in a couple of years. I think maybe last time I saw you, you had me speak at the Good Fest. Yeah. Uh, which is an amazing organization speaking event situation that you used to put together or maybe still put together. We'll find out. <laughs> but you invited me on to, to give one of my first or at least my biggest public speaking opportunities. And you had just saw something in me. So I just need to thank you for that. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you. I remember that day so well, even though it was a couple of years ago. And I'm so grateful for your vulnerability that day. I just remember the way that you were so human on stage and it was a beautiful to witness and be just so impactful, which as event organizers, that was all we could ask for was for you to show your heart. And you did. And I just appreciate your friendship since. Oh, thank you. Well, that was a great talk. It was about failure and rejection. And it really, I prepared for weeks and went to so many places within myself, but to have you know, people in wellness come to me and say, what do you want to talk about? Not like you're a nutritionist. Talk about this, you know, just I, you just made me feel so seen. So that's where I last left you. You were living in Philadelphia. Um, you had a boyfriend or you had just broken up may maybe at that time. Um, you were working the Good Fest and now <laughs> you live in California, right? I do. You're, you're an intuitive guide. You do tarot and I don't know if I'm going to say this right, Akashic readings yes. <laughs> and psychic stuff and all this amazing stuff that I'm so interested in. Yet, I think a lot of my audience, you know, in your words, has a lot of mystery to it. So how did you go from East Coast to West Coast to kind of more traditional job to what you're doing now in such a short period of time? 
it has been quite a journey. I'm trying to remember back to that event, I believe. So I had been in a relationship, like you mentioned, for about five years, going on five years at that point and felt very unconditionally loved, very supported. But there was just, you know, different aspects of it that weren't aligning anymore. It was actually in my tarot practice. I've been pulling cards and working with the tarot deck for about six years now. Like that was when I first got my my first deck. Um, I used to be a tarot reader in college, but... I remember pulling cards and consistently receiving the message that I had outgrown that that experience and that um, relationship. And it all happened very quickly. It just one day hit me where I had this very visceral reaction of like, I just can't be here anymore. I can't be in this home. I can't continue to live this way. And I have to speak my truth. And it was very hard to blindside someone who whose heart was very open to me at the time. And I just followed my intuition there. And I did ask for some signs. I asked for very specific signs from the universe and received them. And that's when I took the plunge, ended the relationship, called one of my best friends in LA who I'd known since, you know, we were children and found out that they were subletting a a room in their space. And I was like, I'll be there. And within a month I had moved to LA. So long story short, I think that you know, ripping the bandaid off, relocating across the country. I continued with GoodFest for quite some time while in LA. Um, we've since transitioned the business and and have uh, sold it to someone and, and moved forward from that. But where I am today is is much more in alignment with what I think my soul had been craving for a while. I just hadn't found my space in wellness. I, I enjoyed creating and curating the events and experiences, but I was like longing for my for lack of a better word, niche. And I have really like leaned into the intuitive work. I think being in a city as well in LA where it is so commonplace and it is a little less stigmatized. I just said, screw it. I'm going to go for it. And then it was, I would say like the, the true turning point, I was kind of juggling a few different avenues and areas of my business, but the turning point was in actually lockdown and, and COVID beginning and just being like, feeling so helpless, like as you know, all of us were as a collective and being unsure of how to serve or be of service to other people. And I started just kind of doubling down on, on this work and sharing the intuitive stuff. I started to, you know, work with different mentors and coaches and learn their practices and refine my skills. And and now here I am doing that. And it feels very effortless. I think that I, looking back at my experience in the wellness industry, be it through influencer work, the good fest, et cetera, all of it was coming from a space of, you know, that was heart led, but there was always a, a divide of like, it's just, it's harder than it needs to be for me. And that was a hard realization to have. And I think it all kind of began when I did move from the comfort zone of Philadelphia, where I'm from and where we've connected. And so that's kind of the the spiel. Okay. Well, I mean, it really does feel like you are so aligned and there's that flow, not to say again, that there wasn't that flow when you were doing the good fest. Like that was, I think where you were in time and space and that worked, but where you are now is just like, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm seeing like through you a little bit more. There's like a transparency through your words that you're sharing on Instagram. Um, you have like a, a poetry type page. I don't know if that's the right word where you're sharing what you're channeling, which we'll get into all these like words, I think. But I think it's really interesting that you outgrew a relationship where there was unconditional love and it was a healthy relationship and all that stuff. And I think a lot of people are there in my past as well. There was one relationship where it was the same thing that, you know, I loved him as a person and I was, you know, everything was all together. And then one day I had literally a one day, I remember I came home from the gym and I was like, yep, can't do it anymore. And I, I didn't have any of these skills to say universe, is this right? Or, um, Um, you know, go to somebody to kind of like guide me. I was a little bit manic during that stage, not to say it was a manic decision, but something inside of me was so just knew that I had to pivot. But I think a lot of people struggle when there's that comfortability with the person, when there's that love, when, you know, it's not like they cheated or it's a bad relationship by any means. So what would you say to somebody who is in a relationship and they are kind of unsure of it, wanting to leave, but there's all this good stuff going on in it that they're afraid to leave, especially if they're in their, you know, 
mid to late 20s or 30s, where a lot of people tend to be a little bit more scared to leave relationships. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have a like exact way to know. And and you're right, that time frame, that time in our lives, it's so pivotal to not like waste time or to be mindful of each other's time and, and each other's commitments. And we had grown through a lot of difficulties. I think he, he saw me and remained my partner through some of my darkest kind of like more shadowy periods of like mental health struggles and things like that. And really saw me in like the root of what my spiritual, spiritual practice was, you know, the beginning stages, finding faith, rediscovering myself before it became, you know, what it is today, which I believe is a little softer, a little more beautiful, a little bit more accessible and, and fun to share. He saw some of those spaces and, and that's why I held on. I was like, you know, he was there through the ugly and he deserves to see the growth. And where it really changed was I remember a specific conversation and this, you know, to get to my advice for those listening in this similar position, it wasn't until I saw how different our views were in that moment of each other that I had to do it for him. It became less about my discomfort and more of respect and honoring his heart. And that was a conversation at our dining room table where we were talking about marriage, which is one of those things that starts to come up when you're five years in and mid twenties. And, you know, he just said, I choose you like you're my wife every day anyway. And I just realized that I didn't feel that way. And I couldn't, I couldn't pretend and not honor like where he was in his feelings anymore. And it just wasn't right. And I think in the same way that he had shown up for me by moving on and by transitioning out of the relationship, that was me showing up for him in a way that I never would have been able to. So it was hard. I love that what you said, like sometimes when we're thinking about these conversations or these choices, we are so in our own heads about what's best for us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the better question is what's best for our loved one to kind of move us out of, I wouldn't say selfish, but like all about the self into the bigger picture, which is part of the, you know, what makes up a choice. So that's such good advice. I think that really kind of comes home here. So I want to kind of get into and demystify some of the work that you do and then move a little bit back into your journey of how you kind of got here. But like I said, there's, I think I'm really into a lot of these things where I'm, I'm interested, I should say, not really into, but I don't know what an Akashic reader is or anything like that. So what is tarot? Let's just start with that. And I always call it tarot. I don't know why, but it's tarot. Tarot. Some people do. Tarot. I mean, they're, you know, tomato, tomato. Right? I don't know why I say that, though. Like, I should, I'm should. i like one of those people that should know better. I'm always like, the tarot. And then someone's like, carrot. And I'm like, no, that's tarot. Okay. Anyway, so let's talk about tarot just to start. Yeah. So tarot is a, a 78 card deck that has been, you know, began in the 15th century to give a very brief history in Italy actually as a playing card game. And over time it became associated with like divination and fortune telling and all of that. And what it essentially does is moves us through different cycles of like the fool's journey, the fool being the protagonist of the tarot, the character that we're following and that he is kind of the, he, she, they are representing our story and moving through different themes and challenges and cycles and transitions. And through, you know, a basis of knowledge of the deck itself and the themes and the tradition of it with intuitive practices and and honestly trust, someone is able to weave together a story and channel through these cards, through the practical, you know, object. And that's what I really felt most connected to at first was the fact that it was tangible, that I could see, touch and feel the physical tool that represented my intuition. And the messages just always landed. First, I started pulling for myself, then I started pulling for other people. And then I started to eventually create more of like a professional, more organized style of reading besides just, you know, reading for friends and family. And it starts to become, for lack of a better word, like a, another language that you're you're moving and working with. And uh, I love it. It's been my number one kind of like tool at this point for my intuition. I do supplement with other, you know, psychic channeling and things like that. But tarot as a whole, I just have a lot of respect for the tradition of it, the way that it's been stigmatized as as like the devil's work or shadow work. It's it's all not true. It's really just storytelling at its core. And, and that's kind of 
how I would sum it up. So you use the word channeling. Can you explain what channeling is? Channeling to me, if if I had to say it like in one sentence, it's taking source energy and communicating it to in a way that's just like practical and tangible, you know, like through words, through writing, whatever it is, is like taking something outside of ourselves, universe, source, spirit, and moving it through our physical body and our communication tools in a way that makes sense to us. So when you pull a card for yourself or for a professional reading, or when you pull multiple cards, you're weaving together the story that stems from the card, from the energy that the person pulling the card is giving off, and it's coming through you to provide some cohesive clarity or a little bit more clarity into something that's going on in their life. Exactly. It's kind of like, so by establishing a basis of knowledge of what the cards mean um, and what they traditionally represent, you know, every single one has a meaning like a textbook definition by learning and honoring that you can start to feel more comfortable pulling the cards and they start to serve as trigger points. So, you know, you take one card and there's a lot of symbolism and depth within that card. There's a lot of different ways you can take it. And depending on, like you said, the energy of the client and how they're presenting themselves, the energy of the other person, what you're just feeling intuitively from your own spirit guides and your own channeling practice, you can kind of just decide, okay, this is what they need to hear in this moment. This is what's actually trying to come through. So I I like to refer to the cards as a trigger point for our intuition. It's like the jumping off point. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so can you give an example of like a recent card that you pulled for somebody and what came through and how it landed for them, just to make it like as little esoteric as possible? Absolutely. So I'm going to take one of the least esoteric cards. Uh, The Ace of Pentacles is a new beginning, a new phase. All the aces mark new beginnings in health, 
home, career, or finances. So I'm working with a client that I've never worked with before. I'm doing a distance reading. Distance readings uh, for me is, it just means that I pull cards and, and record the reading. I don't meet them one-on-one. So I have no basis of what this could represent for them. But in that moment, it felt very connected to health. It felt like, yes, I could talk about a career shift or change because by the textbook, that feels like it applies. But in this moment of this particular client and the energy I'm, I'm sensing, it's related to health. So I choose, okay, I'm going to go that direction. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. And then when you say to the client, you know, okay, this feels like there's some new beginning going on with health. What is their response to that? What does that help them better understand? Well, depending on their, I mean, depending on their question, if they're, if they're looking towards like, what can I look forward to, you know, right now and what, what's coming up for me over the next couple of months, what can I, where can I focus my attention? And when I see something like the Ace of Pentacles, the attention needs to be focused on stability and groundedness and, and mm. feeling safety. And for that particular person, it felt like, you know, grounded routines, a new focus on how to take care of your physical body, preparing it for the inevitable changes and challenges that are to come, but kind of setting a new precedence of like, this is how I'll take care of myself and how safe and secure. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of like misunderstanding as to a, what happens when you pull cards, um, or even how useful it is for me. I found that it's really validating to hear, from the universe, let's call it, let's just use, I'm, I'm going to give a general example here, but my parent who's causing me stress, you know, I feel like that's a very relatable for somebody is causing me stress because of blah, blah, blah. And then use that to say, okay, what you need to do is establish boundaries so that you feel protected in having this person in your life. And then I leave that session reminded that all of my feelings are, are valid, that, you know, I am easily stressed out by this parent. Again, this is, this is a random example. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea where this is coming from. (laughs) And it's my job to implore boundaries because it's a parent. They stay in your life, but um, I need to protect myself at this time in order to actually improve the relationship. I don't know if, I hope that was, I hope I, I just wanted to provide something translatable to everybody who's listening because this past year, I've had such great, I've, I'm a huge fan of therapy. I'm a huge fan of any healing work that you're interested in. But tarot for me this year has been really a fun, exciting way to invite new information and like get in touch with my needs in a way that, I don't know, just feels a little bit lighter than therapy, I guess. Absolutely. And just, and a little bit more for lack of a better word, like magic, you know, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like to see what you already know come through with the theme of the card Mm. does feel quite validating. I think the tarot, there's a couple different purposes and especially with the self-practice, which many people listening are probably going to mostly have a deck just to pull a card for themselves and and ground themselves through the practice of it. Mm. It's confirmation or validation, which we all deserve. We all need that. Sometimes we deserve to hear you are seen, you are heard, you are valid in these feelings. And then second, it's, you know, growth and expansion. How do I move on from that experience and lesson? How do I continue down this path? How do I keep, you know, deepening into that particular theme, especially if it's a positive one, if you see one about passion and creativity and you're longing for more of that, it's like, you can ask tarot how, that's actually the best way is how, what action can I take? What boundary can I place? What's my next step? It's far more empowering and a lot more simple to use when it's less about like the, the idea of like, what's going to happen to me and more of how can I empower myself to make it? Happen. Yes. I think that's a huge distinction that needs to be made more often. It's about how can I play an active role in my life rather than like, what is the fate and fortune of my life? I love that. So you mentioned the word spirit guides that even you call in your spirit guides in order to gather this information on behalf of the client or on behalf of your own personal reading. What is a spirit guide? Spirit guide is a, you know, character. It can be uh, a person or it can be more of a, more of an esoteric feeling of angel spirit, whatever that is there to support you and and unconditionally love you. Speaking of unconditional love, they are here for your highest good to provide whatever it is, you know, support, validation, reflection, like I mentioned, and communicate it in a way that's going to make sense. So we go, uh, say we go into meditation and we ask to call in our spirit guides. The ones that come through are the ones that are going to feel comfortable with you and vice versa, that you're going to feel safe with, that you're going to be able to understand and, and take their metaphors and kind of apply them to your life. 
it's just, it's again, like taking source spirit energy, universal energy that we can't hold in our hands and place some kind of like human, you know, vessel around it. And so it's like, for me, the, the spirit guides that I work with the most often for my clients are human beings. I see them as that. And I know and understand that I'm not going to speak or connect with them in the 3D, in the day-to-day, but they are here to provide me some kind of clarity because I'm, I'm speaking to them conversationally. And so sense? for, yeah. And are your spirit guides people that have passed that you know, or are they um, people from your own past life or are they just um, not related to you in any way? I would say not related to me mostly, you know, I do have a couple past loved ones that I personally can feel their presence in my life when I need them, but I don't necessarily use them for work or for professional settings. The spirit guides, like, you know, you could have a spirit guide that is a spirit guide to a trillion people, a million people. We don't know who is being guided by what and and who. And honestly, they rotate out. They can move, you can move on from one particular spirit guide and then connect with a new one and, or work with them for different reasons. Um, there's no kind of like right or wrong. I just noticed that primarily I work with women spirit guides, female spirit guides, and that it, it's not people that I know or I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Moving away from tarot reading and into Akashic readings, which is something you provide. Did I say Akashic, right? Akashic is correct. Yes. Okay. I have never heard of that. So what is an Akashic record reader? An Akashic record is where your soul has been in this lifetime and all previous and where it's heading in, in upcoming lifetimes. It's the soul's story rather than just the humans. So this is where you see things like past life readings coming through, um, path and purpose readings, things that come up around what our soul's meant to be doing, the karmic lessons we've gone through, the struggles we've experienced, the themes we've we've walked through in many lifetimes and the way that they kind of string together one soul experience that manifests into what we're, what we're noticing today. So it's just like a blueprint of what our soul's gone through past, present, and future. Okay. And how do you do this practice? Um, So I was taught by my mentor, Nikki Novo, who is an Akashic Records reader and psychic herself. And she walked us through like our, you know, the coaching and and mentorship that we worked through to to go up into the records and find like a, a system for yourself that feels good, feels comfortable, feels confident, feels clear, and just different practices of essentially meditation of repeating through the same process of accessing not only your own Akashic records, but other people's. And it's really just a meditation that like I've practiced and and felt more confident and comfortable with over and over. And I usually take my notebook at the same time and I'm kind of, you know, weaving and bopping in and out of meditation with my eyes closed, visual, sensory, and then writing what's coming up and what's coming through. So I ground myself first. I do my own protective, like, you know, clearing of my energy, head up into the records metaphorically in meditation, and then start to kind of work and find and discover whatever I'm asking about. If I'm asking about a client's past life and how they connect to their current partner or what the karma is between them and a parent, um, I'll ask to kind of retrieve that information, work with my spirit guides. They call it a council sometimes to get some of that. Interesting. Okay, cool. So, you know, you've been through quite the journey, you know, really identifying now as an intuitive healer, but that wasn't always how I knew your story. You know, I feel like you're sitting in an empowered place and really changing the lives of so many. But for a long time, you called yourself a survivor and were really working through a lot of big things, including an eating disorder and food anxiety, depression, PTSD. At what point did you feel ready to take that leap from having those things as your identity, and perhaps they still are, to really stepping into your force and your light and your purpose. I definitely still identify with those. I don't want to even use the term labels, but those definitions of myself, you know, I'm still a survivor and, and um, you know, I've experienced trauma, sexual abuse and, and other forms of trauma that manifested into an eating disorder as my coping mechanism. And it took me a while to realize that my eating disorder was a reaction to the trauma that my body held, you know, the trauma and the uh, experience and vibration that was in my energetic body. I retaliated through trying to manipulate and control my physical body to stifle those emotions, to not look at them, to not face them, to look at the fears. And in healing some of the trauma, my gifts opened up more. My intuitive gifts became more more present for first me. And now it's become more of a professional um, extension of me. So I guess 
at this point now, I look at everything as very all-encompassing. The story to get there did require, unfortunately, some battles, but I realized that my gifts are in response, particularly to the trauma that I experienced as a child. I think that that's a very common thread and theme among healers of like that vulnerable shift and that difficult change in our soul, the way that like our, our soul had to experience something that it was not necessarily prepared for, ready for, doesn't deserve, creates this need for resilience and it's, but also a lot of gifts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for a lot of people that experience trauma uh, and then go on to develop a manifestation of that. So for you, it was the eating disorder. For other people, it might be something else. They might resolve the eating disorder or whatever evolves from it, but never touch the trauma. And therefore, like you said, the trauma lives in your body and your vibration. How were you able to go to that other layer and say, okay, just because I don't have an eating disorder anymore doesn't mean that I'm healed. How did you feel safe enough to do so? What I, it really went in phases. My first round of treatment, I was younger. I was about 19 and or I was 19, not about 19. And that was really to heal the, the actual response of eating disorder behaviors, because in order to get to a place of being able to even look at the emotional, I needed to get stable, you know, from a space of weight, no longer restricting, et cetera. So I began there and that was a bitch, you know, to, to even let those things go. Cause I was resisting and fearful of what it would mean to let go of my coping mechanism. What allowed me to numb out. I had never felt more numb than when I was in my eating disorder. And as someone who was highly anxious from a very young age, I started receiving, you know, tons of anxiety, tons of, of hypersensitive reactions, panic disorder, et cetera, at a very young age as a kid, because I had experienced the childhood trauma. And I was like, just on overdrive, sensory overload after that. And I felt like so exhausted and depleted by the anxiety that I was like, let me work through anorexia to just like expel all this energy. Let me put the obsession into something and, and channel it through something else. And so that was step number one. My family saw the physical response of my body, the way that I wasn't healthy, et cetera. And we, we tackled that first. It wasn't until after that, when I was, you know, relatively recovered in the, in the sense of like no longer restricting, not over-exercising, not engaging those behaviors. Someone would look at me and say, she's better, but I didn't feel better. I wasn't happier. I wasn't um, joyful. I was again, overwhelmed by like anxiety, worry, depression. And cause I didn't have the coping skills for my actual emotional response and the overwhelm there. So I went back to treatment again, worked with, you know, a great team of ther therapists and group therapy for multiple months of women's trauma uh, was the focus. So PTSD and, and women's trauma and actually got back to the core of like what the inner child had experienced and why it was now coming to this to this place. I focused on dialectical behavioral therapy was the, the premise of that. And it's a very like mindfulness-based therapy. So a lot about practical tools, ways to actually use mindfulness and, and meditation as a way of kind of letting like, you know, the emotional wave riding it with more ease and not feeling as like consumed by it. And that then connected me, you know, it was all this ripple effect of I started to feel more present in my body. I used to, to feel kind of disassociated from my physical body all the time. And I started to find that presence and that mindfulness and started to develop more faith. And it began with things like yoga and just basic mindful meditation, basic connection to my breath. And as I kept going down, you know, that rabbit hole of like freedom in my body, I wanted to start to connect more spiritually as well and just start to through forgiveness and through trust, associate my story with like, maybe a purpose, maybe not, you know, I just was, I was open. And that's when things like tarot kind of came in as well. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her fifties. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. 
she would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think a lot of people realize that for in some situations with an eating disorder, you are you said dissociated, right? So like you're just so your mind and your body are so separate and you're numb and you're running so far away from yourself that it's the only thing you can do at that time. And then mindfulness can come together or practices like yoga and all these things and provide a safe place for you to kind of reconnect, to come home, to stop running for a second. And it's such a powerful shift to leave behind that coping mechanism that the world doesn't understand and find that unity again in your body that was for you it sounds like you know taken from you at at a at a very young age was what you experienced you know that 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 root cause was it repressed for you or was it always obvious what the core issue was for you or your family it's a great question. I would say it wasn't repressed necessarily. I think that it took me a lot of time to realize that my behaviors and reactions were in response to it specifically. Like I didn't deny the fact that it had happened, but I did deny the way that it was moving through me and my character and my behaviors. I became, you know, I, as like a, a teenager, especially, but, um, you know, even as, as young as like middle school, like very quick to be angry, reactive, rage, frustration, things like that, very ugly, you know, emotions to be feeling and to be holding. And, you know, I didn't necessarily understand that it was me becoming defensive and combative of like what I was feeling inside, which was actually quite triggered, quite vulnerable, quite scared. The inner child was nervous um, and didn't feel safety. And that was my, my way of kind of reacting. I, I definitely, especially with the eating disorder, there were times, you know, in, in more shadow periods of my life where manipulation and lying and, and very like deceitful energy was moving through me. And I am not proud of those times. I'm not proud of who I was to myself and to other people. And it was all to kind of like become more of a puppeteer or to, to feel in control, to falsely feel in control of what was happening around me because I had lost a sense of control as a child. And yeah, I think that there's parts of me that I look back at like who I who I was and how I was identifying, like I was at that time a survivor, but 
definitely not thriving and not accepting that I can, I can move past the like defensiveness and, you know, it's not perfect. Now. I also, I also never want to like spiritually bypass and be like, I did some yoga and I healed, you know, there were times of medication. There were periods of EMDR. There were periods of a very like traditional therapy that needed to happen first to be fair. But now this is just what I like to to offer as like some kind of extension of like, that was then that was what had to inevitably happen to my soul in order to grow. And here I am now sharing a gift of that shadow. I so appreciate you sharing that, um, you know, it wasn't just the yoga and tarot cards that allowed you to come together, that it was really the traditional therapy and working with trained clinical professionals, because when something of that magnitude happens to you or, or just you're experiencing something, whether it's medical or, or whatnot, you know, there's nothing wrong, or perhaps there's, I should say, there's nothing more important than getting the best care in that moment and not relying on purely universe praying and things, <laughs> things like that. So I appreciate you said that you use the term, a shadow period of your life. What is a shadow period? You know, we all have uh, shadow and light within us, the, the traits and the parts of us that are, we're really proud of and the things we're not as proud of. And I think that shadow is a, you know, kind of a term in the spiritual community of like those moments and those times of lows, like the peaks and valleys. It's our valleys. It's our times of like despair, grief, sadness, worry, all, shame, the, the negative emotions that actually holds a ton of richness as far as like lessons and understanding if we're, if we're willing to look at them. And it was a hard chapter, like those couple rounds of treatment, those couple rounds of therapy, it was, it was before good fest had started. It was before my professional career had, and I'm very, very fortunate, incredibly fortunate to have had that support from my family and that even awareness, you know, to have parents and family that understood the magnitude of what mental health means and to have mm -hmm. uh, the focus, you know, be on my mental health was huge. And I, I think that there's trauma that we experience in our current lifetime. There's ancestral trauma that's carried from like our family dynamics and our structure. There's past life trauma that our soul kind of holds and all of that stockpiles up and becomes something really heavy for someone to, to sift through and understand. And like I said, it's just been layers, you know, it began with like the very traditional approach of like talk therapy, CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, what we, what we kind of know therapy to be. And, and it kept going down different modalities and finding different tools and building out my toolbox to finally feel safe and secure, not just within myself, but in how I regulate my emotions, how I communicate my emotions, how I, how I stay in a space of like self-care and self-maintenance. And, and many people, you know, don't realize that this is, I'm now 30 years old. This has been an 11 year journey and I've only been sharing tarot and intuitive work for two years. So it's like, this was happening long before, you know, some of the topics that we've been chatting about. And on your website, you say that a lot of the stuff that you experienced made you cynical. That mm -hmm. was a word that I saw. And I thought it was an interesting word because at least right now you present nothing cynical. <laughs> it, was there a time that you were very cynical and what did that look like? Why do you think you were able to move away from that? Yeah, I think I assumed the worst in others and then radiated the energy through myself. Like I was like, everyone's going to, may I curse? Fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> be, you know, be, uh, hurt me, not be trusted, not be trustworthy. So therefore I don't have to be, I held myself to like a certain standard. And it just became this idea of like, I don't want to say that there was no good in the world, but I was just, I just was angry, angry, cynical, kind of like for the first to notice the flaw and notice the negative because it felt more protective to, to assume the worst and assume this is going to fall apart or be chaotic or be uncomfortable than trust that it could work out and that it can be, it can be easy. It can be beautiful. It can be authentic. And I'd say that, you know, that's one of the things I still, I, I appreciate you saying I don't come off as cynical. I agree that I've moved on from that more jaded kind of viewpoint, but I think in the spiritual worlds and community, and one of the reasons why I do appreciate my client interactions is I try very hard not to create spirituality as some false band-aid of fixing things. And I do try to keep very honest and very, very real like messages for my clients. I don't go in asking 
where, where's the love of their life and, and when are they going to meet them? I ask, you know, how can they be the best they can be to feel ready for that type of love they deserve? You know, that's such a different way of, of discussing it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't lean into psychic work as quickly as I could have, or as, as wholeheartedly, I was just dabbling for so long because I didn't know how to do it and still respect kind of the the work I'd gone through and the healing I'd gone through. And I didn't want to lose sight of that. I didn't want to make it all look like sunshine and, and rainbows. Mm, I love that. And really highlighting again, that working with an intuitive coach is not somebody predicting your future or telling you when you're going to meet the love of your life. It's saying almost like, where are you falling short so that you can be a little bit more whole so that you can step into the universe whole and attract what you want or deserve, right? Hopefully, hopefully that makes some sense to, to everyone. Do you ever find yourself reverting back to that cynical nature of not trusting, of believing that people's interests aren't the best? Um, yeah, we all do. Right. Of course. I think that I I think we have our moments. I have my times where I'm human and where I look at things. And, um, I think one of the, you know, maybe not so much cynical of people's intentions, or I'm very fortunate to have very good people in my life. I surround myself with friends and family and those I trust. So it's not so much relationship. That's how it was, was at first, you know, in dating and things like that. I was very, um, manipulative and, and quite manic. You use the word manic in a lot of like my interactions, there were trauma bonds were forming things like that in friendships as well. Just like the, the drama I fed off of kind of like the intensity of different things. Cause I was used to that. I was used to that like vibration in my body of like fight or flight rather than just like calm. But as far as today, I'd say some of the blocks or things that I'm working through more are centered more around like work in abundance, you know, working through some of those type of things, understanding that I can sit back and just trust that it, it will come to me a bit more. I I've always been one to hold a lot of like, I don't want to say the word ego, but I, I pride myself in my ethic with work and the way that I, I show up and stay dedicated. And that's caused me to burn out. That's caused me to be exhausted. That's caused me a lot of, of struggles in my own, you know, career as well. So I think like more so things like that than so much of the cynicism or the, the jaded feeling of like not trusting other souls or other hearts of, of people in my life. And what about when it comes to romantic relationships? Do you find yourself trusting of others as easily as you could much better much much better um but that said it's because i worked on my own worthiness and trusting and loving myself as cliche as that is but i took a lot of time especially in la to date and make mistakes and try again and learn from each and know that there was i tried to really see like them as stepping stones like okay that was a heartbreak but i you know it took me, I mentioned like that first true relationship of my life was to see that I can be unconditionally loved, but I also had to learn what it is to be on the other side and to love others and it not be reciprocated and to have something be seemingly perfect, but just not right at the time, you know, all those lessons we go through and yeah, it's gotten a lot, a lot easier, a lot more intuitive, I guess. <laughs> you shared so much juiciness there where I'm like thinking of my own life and yes, it's exactly life's journey that we all go through, yet it feels so isolating and painful and scary, especially as women, as we feel like that clock is ticking and that pressure and, you know, blah, blah, blah. My question, because for myself, I feel like I went through a vibrational change at some point, thanks to therapy, medication, yoga, spiritual work, and all these things that I'm kind of reflecting on now. Like it wasn't with the, I didn't use this language that you and I are talking about now during this time, but looking back, I feel like I started to vibrate at a different frequency than the one that I was previously at. And as a result, I started to attract amazing things in my life and it felt good. Like I felt in control as opposed to at the mercy of the world. However, one thing I shared recently on an episode of The Truthiest Life for my birthday episode is that in coming home, so I moved back to where I'm from-ish and being around a lot of the same players, I'm admitting that there was a little bit of a reversion to my energy, to my soul, to everything that, you know, I'm still trying to like kind of recalibrate. So I know you're still in California and everything, but do you think if you move back home or have you had experiences when you're with people from home that you don't glow up or show up the way your true self is that we're seeing today? 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And it's, it takes so much self-awareness to realize like, Hey, I'm kind of back where I used to be. And now there's all patterns and behaviors and ways of thinking. And I notice that every time I go home to f- visit family and friends, and it's actually had to, it, we've had to have pretty like open conversations about this with my family of like, especially my parents of them understanding that now at, you know, I, I would consider myself an empath and highly sensitive and to be back in the, in the space that carries a vibration of a lot of difficult memories and a lot of different difficult feelings um, and chapters for me, sometimes I do react. I am kind of more of a short fuse. I notice my, my frustration there, like just aggravation that I don't want to share with them anymore. And that I do feel like we've healed through, but I have to remind them, like, this is a lot of me being back in an uncomfortable place, my body kind of catching up and me needing to remind myself and remind my inner child, like, Hey, that was then this is now you are different now. And I enjoy now the challenge of going back home and and facing those things. And I've been very transparent with my family of like, I, I do think that being now on the West coast, there is a shift in me. There's a change that it it's more aligned for my growth and they completely honor and respect that. And I'm so appreciative. Well, it starts with you also showing up and, and having those, I, what I would call difficult conversations. And it sounds like your, your parents really are just really supportive in whichever way you're moving, which is wonderful. Or I don't know if I should say, sorry, your, your family, I, I don't know who the unit is at home, but that's, that's great to know that you can communicate because the first thing that shuts down for me in those moments is my throat chakra, my voice. Like (laughs) I lose my ability to talk, which I'm clearly good at talking and expressing myself. But when it comes to those situations, I'm not, and I'm just, you know, I feel like I talked about myself a lot in this podcast, but only for the purpose of audience listeners, maybe you're like me and can kind of relate to what you said in the beginning, I think was so powerful, which is trauma is stored in the body. And so put the body back in the environment, the body sometimes works quicker than the mind. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, back where you were, but I think you provided such a powerful tool to reactivate that voice and remember and use mindfulness and awareness and skills to say, Ooh, okay. I know that I'm an empath. I'm really sensitive. Uh, being here is really hard for me. So here is what I need today. Would you, would you go so far as to say, here's what I need to somebody? I I try to be, I try to be that open and, and communicate that way. I think that for me, like to say, Hey, I'm triggered right now, or I'm, and I'm using the word triggered, but um, I'm feeling this. Hey, I'm having an anxious moment. Sometimes that is exactly, especially with anxiety for, I know that many people listening probably relate to that, that burden of anxiety and how it shows up in, in a variety of ways. But what I've noticed over time is nothing makes it feel more isolating or more stifled than when I'm trying to hide it or when I'm trying to quickly push through it or, or whatever. And I've noticed that the more I just say and address, same goes with my story. The sooner I started to just say, Hey, this happened to me. And it's not a reflection of me because it, it wasn't my choice, the less heavy it felt. So I think that that's the biggest thing when I'm, you know, in a, in a situation or at a restaurant and it's, you know, getting a little chaotic in there, or I'm on, I'm driving past a certain street or memory and just saying like, Whoa, this is kind of making me feel uncomfortable. Like I just want, it's coming up for me it's really nice to just get it out and we don't necessarily need to fix either. I think that's one thing that I'm, I'm still trying to communicate with my friends and family who know me and know my story of sometimes I don't even need you to fix it. I just need you to be like, cool. I see that. I hear you all good. I'm here for you. We're, we're in this together. I love that. I feel like so often when we do verbalize what's going on, the people around us, our loved ones naturally want to fix the problem, but sometimes it just needs acknowledgement space container holding, not a solution, which is hard for people to learn that that's okay, that that's the best way to show up for somebody. So I I feel like at some point or another, all of us will be on the other side of that, being around somebody who is going through something hard and we want to take their pain away. But the best thing we can do is just let their pain exist, validate it and kind of step back rather than continue on. Because I found for me and we had um, Serena on this podcast who talked about how the worst thing for her anxiety is when her partner tries to fix it. So I feel like that's such a good point just to reiterate that you don't need to, okay, we're going to go do this. We're going to go for a walk. Maybe you should journal. Like sometimes you just need to like give somebody a little bit of space to 
have their body, you know, really feel through it maybe. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. And I think like we're, we're kind of uh, setting the example of like, you know, someone trying to come fix for us, but the same can be, you know, what we do for ourselves. I I've, it's been a really hard process of learning. Yes. I have a lot of tools. I have my meditation practice. I could journal, I could go for a walk, but there's also something that could serve me in just sitting in it and letting it just completely come up and bubble over and whatever that is, whether it's a fear an anxiety, a worry, and just not try to fix it for myself. Because the reality is too, fixing takes work and work is hard and work is exhausting. And sometimes it's okay to just let the body kind of do a little bit for itself. And that might look messier and, and a little less pretty, but sometimes it's a little bit more successful. <laughs> at the end. I love that you said that because I didn't know why I get, again, I'm using this word triggered lightly, but like when people are like best things for anxiety, journal, meditate, go for a walk, da, 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 da. like I didn't know until you just kind of said it, but it just shook something in me where I'm like, when I'm depressed, when I'm actually anxious, like I actually just need to like get under the covers for a little bit. I need to scream. I need to cry. I need to do the messy stuff that nobody's like listing I should do on social media, you know, under the guise of self-care. Of course, meditation, journaling, all that stuff as day-to-day practices are incredibly helpful for me to not let it build up. But I think really shining light on that is thank you so much for saying that, that sometimes the best thing we can do is none of that stuff that's, you know, so trendy right now. (laughs) Totally, totally. And it's like, and then we start to feel a resistance to it. And it's supposed to be something that feels like a tool a practice that helps and doesn't become something we should be doing. If we start shooting on ourselves and our anxiety, it's only going to be harder. I mean, yesterday I had one of, and it was, it was bizarre and I don't, I'm still unpacking it a little bit of where it came from and that's okay. It's, it might take a few days for me to settle into like what triggered it. But yesterday I did have like a pretty bad bout of anxiety and a lot of release, a lot of crying, a lot of just feeling like, okay, I am, I'm out of it. You know, I canceled a reading. I needed to like move through it. And I don't know exactly why it was this way, but I do know that giving myself that afternoon of just like, this is not pretty for me right now. It led me in the evening to, because I had no plan on doing my workout or getting a little movement in or going for a walk, I actually ended up doing it in the evening. It actually felt right. It actually felt okay. It felt like not something that I needed to do, but actually felt ready and prepared to do because my body was like, all right, you can shake some of that off. And it just was so much nicer to, to approach it that way. The energy wanted to move out of your body rather than having to force it out of your body, which is a great lesson in quote unquote discipline versus flow. Like you're going to get frazzled again. I'm going to get frazzled again. You're going to have anxious days, whatever. But the prescriptive self-care really takes away from the honoring of the process where the honoring of the process sometimes leads to a walk and the self-care and the, you know, the things that we want to be doing, but not always at the same time. For sure. Well, this was such a great, I feel like organic conversation. I also just want to mention right before we jumped on, we were just talking about July. We're recording this in July and it's been a weird July for, I I was asking you about that, but hearing you talk about your day yesterday, you know, in the middle of July, essentially, it's like we had a, a lot of expectations for July to be easy, maybe for 2021 to be easy because of 2020 being so hard, but for whatever reason, the energy is a little heavier right now this year. So I just want to invite anybody else who's feeling that way, maybe the same as me and Kate to recognize that it's okay if July wasn't the most joyful, if it was heavy, that there's big shifts going on, or if this year isn't perfect for you. So thank you for sharing your light and your story. It's so inspiring for me to see somebody who has really gotten to the root of their existence and come up with so much to give. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. And thank you for holding space as I shared, you know, many aspects of myself today. And just for, like you said, this organic, beautiful conversation. So I appreciate you so much. We're going to put all of Kate's information below. So if you want to work with her or follow on social media, we'll put all of that in the show notes below. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., 
And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.